You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 617 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Thursday evening here in mid-August, and I recorded a lengthy chat today with a good friend of the program, Tyler Jones. We covered a lot of ground, bounced around quite a bit on some uh, theoretical stuff, some specific stuff, some players, obviously Trey Young, John Collins, Kevin Herter, Alex Len, um, some stats, all that fun stuff. It's a really fun conversation that I had with Tyler, definitely a big picture one in, in August, but uh, plenty to uh, provide some intrigue for the listener, I hope. Um, in the meantime, before we get to Tyler, I want to take a second to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. I really appreciate everybody that's already done that. It's been uh, very, very nice to see, even in the dead months, some uh, people rolling through to subscribe and download the podcast. I really appreciate all of that, but please pick the podcast platform of your choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, all those places that have podcast download software. Go ahead and check out, check, I guess, find your favorite one. Check it out on that podcast software. If we're not there, please let me know that. I will get my do the best that I can to get us up on that platform of your choice. But without further delay, here is my interview with the great Tyler Jones. Tyler, thanks as always for joining me, my friend. How are you on this fine Thursday evening? I am doing okay because uh i don't know if you know this i actually don't know where you're at currently brad you've been traveling during the summer i'm in collierville tennessee which is like 20 minutes outside of memphis or whatever but long story short it is hot yes, it's it been hot all week like this is man i cannot believe i used to practice football in this type of heat like people the young kids listen to this podcast right now. Y'all need to understand. <laughs> like there were a lot of rules even during my time. I'm I'm only 27 years old. Growing up, you didn't miss a day of practice regardless of how hot it was. And we used to practice in crap like this. I who how how we, we were lucky. Like I'm just gonna put it that way. A lot of things have gotten better as we've gotten smarter. Because uh, we were lucky that nobody actually died during this heat. Because this is. I mean, this is unbearably hot. Yeah, it's been it's been serious in Atlanta. I've been back in town for a couple weeks now, straight, and it's been uh, serious. It's hot in the morning. That, that's why that's why you know it's hot when it's hot in the morning. When I'm going to work at like eight a.m. and it's like, oh, it's it's hot now, um, and it only gets hot. I mean, it's hot. It's hot, and then it it's the type of heat that'll make you sweat. Like, oh yeah, like it is. You got to take a shower after just stepping outside for two minutes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so here we are. Um, always like to talk about weather at the top of the podcast. Just get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, uh, we could talk about the the Braves or the Falcons if you want for a quick listen, second. Uh, as we record this, I was just watching both both those games on on my TVs. I'm, uh, to take you behind the curtain, I have to walk into my mini mini closet studio to record, so I don't have anything in front of me at this very moment. But I was watching both of those, and it wasn't going super well, especially with the Braves. So. Um, we will leave that alone for now and talk about the Hawks and do what we do here. Um, first things first, um, the RPM, ESPN's real plus minus projections came out 
on Thursday morning. Um, people always get mad about these. I like to at least talk about them because it's ESPN. It's a very prominent outlet. People always ask me about them. Um, they were not terribly high on the Hawks, which is not a huge surprise to me, which we can talk about or not. Um, but 30.4 wins was the projection uh, with a 3% playoff chance, which which seems very low. Um, 12th in the Eastern Conference. Um, my main objection to those numbers um, is that the Hawks are projected to be to be behind or slash worse than the Grizzlies and the Wizards. I, I can't I can't abide by that. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest Hawks homer in the world, but I think it's pretty ludicrous to have them below the Grizzlies and the Wizards. Um, but if you look at we could deep we could dive uh, deeper into this if you want to. But I I know why at least the explanation as to why the Hawks are low because RPM does not like what the Hawks did in the offseason because they really liked Dwayne Dedman and they really, uh, at least last year, and the system does not like Jabari Parker or Alan Crabb or Evan Turner. Those guys were all sharp negatives. So if you just factor that in, and of course, uh, even in the write-up, Kevin Pelton referenced that um, they project DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reich as, quote, sub-replacement level, end quote, for the rookie seasons. So all that to say, um, that backdrop should make it terribly surprising, but I have to ask you what you thought about this. Oh, okay. So this is... I don't want to ramble for too long on this, but this is kind of why I wanted to talk to you, Brad. Uh, this, of course, I want to talk to you before RPM came out, but it kind of it weaves kind in. of co-signed. I yeah. mean, yeah, it leans into to my overall opinion, and you know, I think we should all, you know, as a basketball community, push back a bit on individual advanced metrics that try to portray the best players in the NBA because while I think it might be useful for maybe the top 1% of the league, like, Oh, it says LeBron James is still, you know, a top eight basketball player in the NBA, even though he only played 55 games. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I don't think it's really valuable for the rope. Like the, the more you go down on the scale, the, like the least valuable it gets to me um, just because it, these metrics, they, they they really don't define the value of an individual player to a team. Um, you know, the RPM, like, I don't think they had, they rate John Collins that highly, um, you know, relative to the rest of the league or maybe even possible to the team. But to me, last season, the single biggest driving point for the Hawks, you know, going from literally the worst basketball team in the NBA to a 30 two 33 plus win basketball team was John Collins coming back and specifically his skill as an offensive rebounder. He's one of the best. He's one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. He might be top five. He's probably top three in the league as an offensive rebounder. And that's like his impact on the game is such a boon for the Hawks offense. Like it, I'm not sure if it completely measured, like I'm not sure there's any one, individual statistics that measures his impact to what he did for the Hawks last season or what, what he's done since he's been in Atlanta Hawks. And I think the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, RPM. So like everything the Hawks did in a vacuum, of course it's going to look bad. Evan Turner was a lot worse than Ken Bazemore. Um, he has been since he went to Portland. I don't think that's disputed. Yep. Um, you know, Alan Crabb was terrible uh, last year. Um, that might have been injury related. Who knows? And, you know, Jabari, Jabari Parker was just god awful. And uh, in Chicago, 
uh, he bounced back a bit in Washington, but that was only for that wasn't even for a quarter of a se- barely for a quarter of a season. Uh, so, like, it makes sense that RPM is going to drag the Hawks down and be like, okay, the Hawks replace quality role players and Kent Bazemore, Dwayne Dedman, and they replace them with you know <laughs> subpar guys. It, it's, they I mean, they it's literally had Dedman as the best player on the team last year, like by a lot. Um, which I don't agree and, with, but I, I think Devin was a and, top three player on the team last year. But but that lead, that leads to my point. Like, De- of course, Devin is always going to look good in the metrics because he doesn't have a weakness based on what we consider a weakness to be. But to me, like the biggest driver in wins and losses last season was was offensive rebounding. Like the second the Hawks became just a dominant offensive rebounding team, they started being able to score consistently regardless of everything else that happened on the floor like that I mean, it was it was, that it was, was easy the, just for the reference here just to back you up it was easily their best trait last year if you look at all the advanced numbers offensive rebounding was by far their best attribute as a team last year you know cleaning the glass had them like seventh i think in offensive rebounding they were like they were a top 10 offensive rebounding team in the league and they weren't really top 10 in anything else all season long so that was their strength by far and, and here's the thing they, they were top 10 like Y'all got to understand, John Collins missed the first, what, right. 15 that, that's, that's for the whole plus season. games of the season? Yeah. They weren't, they were a terrible, like, they weren't, they were a non-factor on the offensive glass. Like, they were, like, bottom five in the league along with every other category before John Collins came back. And being dominant in that, in that particular skill, which, you know, I think a lot of more teams are starting to recognize that being a great offensive rebounding team is such a boon to your offense. Like it's the, it's probably this, it's the way to get efficient looks on offense, just based on putbacks and open three pointers off for kickouts. Like that's, that's been true for about a full decade plus now, but I think more teams are starting. We're seeing more teams trend towards going bigger again because they realize the value of offensive rebounding. And cause I mean, I, I, I just started thinking about this because um, Nate and Danny also didn't rate, you know, the Hawks highly in their off-season grades in their uh, previous pockets. And that, and again, that makes sense. Like, in a, in a vacuum of what the Hawks did, you know, it, you can't argue that they got better. But to yeah, me... If you, if you go transaction by transaction, which is what most of these things are doing on, on the grades, on the grade side, if you just break down the transactions... I can see that and kind of said the same thing as well. Like I wasn't as low on them as Nate and Danny were. If you want to, if you want to listen to those guys, go ahead and do that. They were, I, I think, kind of predictably negative about what the Hawks did. But, you know, to your point, like, it's easy to go sort of line by line value-wise and not love what they did. But continue. No, but, but my point is, that's not... Like, to me, I don't think that's how teams should be judged, Right. I don't think – I think we need to move – I think, you know, as a basketball society that we are, I think we need to move away from such, you know, minor transaction um, – minor transaction like grading where we're grading these transactions in a vacuum. Like that's essentially what we're doing here. We're we're isolating as many variables as possible. But we really shouldn't be doing that. Uh, because that's not how basketball is played. That's that's just not how NBA basketball in particular is played. It's not a it's not a in a vacuum sport. It's not baseball. We can't really like the value of Evan Turner on a Trailblazer. Like, of course, it's, he's going to be bad on the Blazers because he doesn't fit that. Like to me, I look at Evan Turner. I see a guy who needs the ball in his hands. 
and has to play alongside shooting, or he's just a complete zero on offense. Yep. And the Blazers <laughs> didn't have shooting. Like they, the Blazers, like for as great as Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum are as shooters, those were really their only threats. Everybody else was functionally a non-shooter on that team. And so Evan Turner was just DOA, like dead on arrival every year that he played for them because he didn't fit. But I could make that same argument about Kent Bazemore on the Hawks today. If, if Kent Bazemore was still on this roster, there would be no place for him to even play, right? Because th- this is my point. The Hawks were substantially better when uh, – they inserted Kevin Herter into the starting lineup at the two. Yep. Like that that was another that was another boost. And they were because Kevin Herter is a great shooter. Uh, he at the very least he gets the respect of teams as a great shooter, even though he only shot like 39%. Um, but he is a great shooter off the dribble and he has range. And that was such a difference compared to what Kent Bazemore and to me, Kent Bazemore on the Hawks, his flaws were that he ultimately is a three like he he's flat his offensive game is a three but defensively he can only not at this stage of his career he can really only guard twos and some ones he can't guard all ones like he's not the most he, he doesn't have the quickest of feet to stay in front of uh you know the quick guards in NBA but he can guard bigger uh, bigger guards but really he can't really guard threes anymore and so like even though Torian Prince is a significantly worse basketball player, you can't really start a lineup of Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and Kent Bazemore. Like, you just can't start that way just because you're too small across the board. Like, you're just going to get beat up physically. And, you know, combine that with, you know, what they did in the draft where they drafted two guys who were going to take playing time from Kent Bazemore. Like, there was just – there was no minutes for him to play. So, for me – it's a situation where Evan Turner is now going to a team with a lot more shooting. Like he's, he's going to always play alongside two or three good to great shooters on this team when he's on the floor. And on, as an aside, he's also going to be, we'll, we'll see how this point guard stuff works, but defensively he's a quality defender. Like if nothing yes. else, he's a good switch defender he and is. he's big and he's big. And that's important. Like he's a big wing defender, something the Hawks, the Hawks have not had big wing defenders on this roster for years until this offseason, where they they just decided to get all the big wings. Yeah, they, they, uh, that, that was know. the that was the uh, the thinking originally behind drafting Torian Prince is that he was supposed to be that, and then he just didn't ever defend after like his first three months of his rookie year. So I because of that, because of Torian's shortcomings, they have not had that guy for a long time, and now they have a bunch of them, which is good and you need those guys to win at the highest level eventually so that that did make a lot of sense and I, I agree with you um I, I think just to f- I guess finish off the uh, metric conversation real quickly I think they can be useful like you said but every single one of these like to this point in time there's not an advanced metric like the individual me- metric that I would be comfortable using on its own that metric doesn't really exist at this point um I, I will reference them but I, w- I will always try to reference multiple of them at the same time um, and put them in context because I don't love any of them individually. You have RPM, you have PIPM, which I think is useful. You have you know the the old schoolish ones like VORP and you know 
wins above replacement and uh, win shares and all, all the ones. Th- there's a million of them on Basketball Reference. Um, they are they are and can be useful, but um, I definitely would push back on the use of them as uh, catch-alls and just using them by themselves. Like even RP, I mean, I think Kevin Pelton, who I've had on this podcast before, and I know Kevin a little bit. He he'll be the first to tell you that RPM projections should not be taken as gospel. Like. I'm very confident if, if Pelton was putting, was putting out his own, his own projection, it would not be the RPM projection. Um, he's the writer of it, so he gets yelled at the most. But, uh, I mean, for instance, the Clippers have like 47 wins. <laughs> That's not going to happen unless something crazy happens. Um, so there's always weirdness there. I, I usually just put this out there just to kind of um, have something to talk about. And I think it's instructive just to see how what people are thinking about, about about the team. But in general, uh, it's context is king on all this stuff. And uh, But, also, I mean, it's just... It's just it's it's tough to really because like I mean we didn't even take Jabari Parker like Jabari Parker is going to be rated terribly because he was terrible in Chicago playing out of position, not in a defined role like he will be in Atlanta. Like uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just so difficult when you know me and you we watch we basically watch every Hawks game. You have to be able to watch. How, you have to watch games. Like, I mean, and, and 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 this is the thing we can tell you about the Hawks they have an identity as a, as a team. Like they have a system. Like they, they know what they want to do on both ends of the, like on offense, at least they're trying to figure it out on defense, but they at least got one side of the floor figured out. And that's such a benefit. So many of these teams, like the, the worst teams in the NBA don't have an idea game to game, what they're going to lean on. The Hawks, it's going to be high screen pick and roll with Trey young and a big, and every, everything's going to flow through that. Um, and yeah, they I mean, know as long as long as, as long as Trey exists, as long as Trey uh, is is healthy and on the floor, they know what they're going to do on offense, and that they're ahead of the game in that way against against a lot of teams. Um, <laughs> and you know they have they have at the very least they have two guys who they know are very good offensive players already. Uh, I think the list is longer than that, but their top two guys are already plus on its offensive players, and one of them is an offensive engine. He's kind of already proven to be that, which. That's a good. That's a good starting point. We obviously we can talk about everything else, and we will uh, both now and throughout the season. But um, I agree with you. Like having identity to some degree really helps you, which is why you know part of the reason why you like you you much rather be the Hawks and some of these other teams that are in the same in the same range for this season is that look, the Hawks know what they're going to be already. I mean, it, it may not work out great this year because they are playing with a lot of young guys and their roster's not fully formed yet. But we know what we know what to expect, which is why like people are excited about the Hawks, obviously. Now this isn't to say RPM isn't useful. Like all these it statistics is. aren't. Like I'm not saying I'm not saying they're not useful. Well, I know I know you're not. During the off season, coming into a season where we got so much player movement, we really don't know how these teams are going to function as a unit. Yep. And to me, like how five, like how it, do does your five man lineup make sense? Like to me, that's I think that's the single most important aspect of this team. And to me, a lot of the lineups the Hawks can throw out up there on the floor make a ton of sense now we can get we can get into the nitty-gritty of the details but like just just in a macro sense like i mean going up to get hunter like he feels a need uh he's a big wing and he's we'll see we'll see how good of a shooter he is at the nba level but in college he was great there's no nothing you can point at. Point, there's no spot on the floor you can point at to say DeAndre Hunter wasn't a great shooter. Like he was, he simply was. The volume wasn't there, uh, but you know, consistently over two years, we we have a good 
we have a good idea that he's probably going to be a decent to good shooter in the NBA. And like to me, to me with Hunter, because his role is already so defined, like it's not like he's going he's not going to be have the ball in his hand. He's not going to be some creator. He's going to be primarily a guy who finishes plays, whether it be catch and shoots or cuts or, you know, maybe sometimes as a secondary or tertiary playmaker on the, for on the starting lineup. Like his role is so well defined that I'm not really concerned about him, if that makes sense. Like I I feel like I know like I feel like I know what he's going to bring to the table. Like he reminds me a lot of what OG and Anobi brought to the Raptors his first year. In that he brought size and, you know, he made a bunch of three points from the corner. I think Hunter's a better shooter off jump than yeah. uh, off, off, you know, coming into the NBA. And I think he's going to have a similar impact just because just because of how physical he is on defense. We, we go back like we, we, we've talked about DeAndre Hunter's defense enough. I think he's going to be a really good defender. And I think it's going to show pretty early just due to the fact that he's really good as you know, he's really good at the hardest part, like hardest part of defense to me, which is at the end of the day, staying in front of your man. We'll see how he is as a help defender, but the Hawks haven't had that. And Hunter was really good. You know, he was really good at that his two years in college. And I think I think those skills are going to translate to the next level. But we'll but, you know, again, we'll see. Like, it's a lot of I'm a, that, at that point, it's a lot of projection. But to me. Like, you know, get, giving up all the assets to get Hunter made sense because he fit the exact need that the Hawks had for years, which is a big wing that can make open three-point shots. And that's why they did it. I mean, for all of the times I've said and other people have said that they overpaid, the reason why they did it was because they they believe, and I, I, I can see this viewpoint, obviously, um, that he's a perfect fit. And listen, he if, if it works out the way that I think it, is going to or is likely to because I've I've always been really high on DeAndre Hunter. If it works out the way that, that that it could work out, he is a perfect fit. Now, that'll never stop a conversation about the trade if it doesn't work out perfectly. But I, I do think that Hunter, um, as a big physical wing that can shoot, is the guy they need. I mean, they've they needed that guy. I mean, if, if you're gonna go for w- with your core right now, your core right now, at least coming into the draft, was those three guys. It's, it was Collins, it was Herter, and it was Young. If you had to pick a guy, pick an archetype. Aside from like super superstar, just an ar- like a supporting archetype, it would have been a six eight physical two way guy that could defend and shoot threes, and that's what Gabriel Hunter is supposed to be. So it's not hard to see what they wanted and how they wanted to do that, and that's what they went and did. Now, I mean, it may not he may not live up to it, but the archetype that they wanted is what he's supposed to be, and that makes a ton of sense. Like whether he's that right away. Is up for debate. You know, he's he's an older is an older guy for the one and done era, and that he's not nineteen. But you know, rookies are still rookies, and it may not go great right away. But as long as he's showing signs, and I think he'll be able to defend his man right away, um, that's the bare minimum that he's going to be asked to do. He's going to play a lot. I mean, I think Reddish is going to play some too. But Hunter, I mean, he's a starting small forward, isn't he? They, they haven't said that, but I, I'd be kind of surprised if he wasn't starting small forward from day one. So. I mean, unless unless come Cam Reddish just comes out like as a gangbuster, I don't. And I, see I, that I, I I just can't imagine that happening right away. Like I, I know Cam is super talented, but if he jump if he jumped from where he was last year in college with an injury that he hasn't been able to go full go for a couple months now, and suddenly was ahead of Yarry Hunter by October, that would be pretty stunning to me. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not impossible, but I'd be stunned by that. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't see it. Just do the. 
Cam Reddish's build as a as a like he's he he has a young man's body, whereas Hunter kind of has a grown man's body already. That's why that's why I'm projecting such positivity for Hunter because he's such like he already has the NBA size and and strength already. Like he he's already has it. So like really, it's just him coming onto the floor and getting getting in tune with the speed and the pace of the of NBA compared to what he was doing at Virginia. But I think that'll translate. Um, yep. And and aside. Another thing I love asides, you know, because you know the. So what Nate, what Nate and Danny wanted the Hawks to do was to stay at where they were and just draft the best player available, which would would have been some, like it would it might have been gone how how the draft eventually went, which is if they had Jackson stayed Hayes if they had stayed eight. at eight if they had stayed at eight they would have taken reddish at eight. I, I'm pretty confident yeah. about that. So so yeah, Reddish at eight, then maybe Jackson Hayes at ten, and or Nick something Hill like Alexander that. Yeah, Walker I mean that's kind of honestly. If you somebody asked me this question the other day, I don't I don't want to pin myself down too much, but based on what I have heard, if if you told me they would have stayed at eight and ten, I would have guessed that exact same thing. I would have guessed that they would have ended up with Reddish at eight. I'm pretty confident about that one. Um, now. The Wizards at nine were always the wild card that no one knew anything about. They ended up taking Rui. Um, if they had taken Rui, I think the Hawks would have taken Jackson Hayes, and that would have been what they did at eight and ten. Now, in retrospect, staying put at eight and ten, seventeen, eight ten and seventeen, you know, you could argue on both sides of that. Um, my my stuff with the Hunter trade had more to do with the other assets and et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't really matter. But I, I mean, you can't project I, what they would have been able to do. Like you, you, we're all guessing. Yeah, at but that I, my, my larger point is this, and I. I had argued for Jackson Hayes at you know at eight or at ten before the draft, and really, more I think about it, like his skills just overlap way too much with John Collins. It's and not a great fit. I said that a lot. This idea, and like here's the thing, and, and here's and here's my point. Uh, uh, what what Nate, I think what Nate and Daniel were arguing was just the Sam Hennecke model of like you're not a great team, you're not yeah. even a good team. You know, you should just draft best talent available, and then try to park the pieces, whatever. But he, here's my counter that I'll argue. You already know John Collins is really good. Like, it, I mean, you already know, like, you already know this. Why would you draft a duplicate talent? Like, that's, you know, instead of drafting a type of talent that might actually, you know, push ship, push him, push John Collins even further to to his max, you know, his highest caliber ceiling that, that he potentially has as a basketball player, why would you limit himself by drafting somebody who's going to, at the end of the day, be a similar type of player, which is a rim runner, not as good of a rebounder on either end of the floor, but ultimately has a big rim runner, and hopefully one day he can develop a three-point shot based on his free throw percentage. But right, like that, no, you I, know that that I think it's that interesting kind of diluting of talent. Like to me, it compared to what the compared to you know drafting talents that supplement the guys you already have like what, what the Hawks needed at what the Hawks need this offseason period was wing talent like that that at the end of the day we argue back and forth what 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 the Hawks should have done what they could have done all this good stuff they needed wing talent and you could say well you don't know what John Collins is but to me I'm like John Collins would have been an all-star if he was healthy for the whole season like what I mean you how, and I talked how, about how, this before the draft like there was no scenario in that draft, where they were going to get out of the top ten without at least one wing, and they ended up taking two, 
but they were going to they were going to the entire time they were going to draft a wing somewhere in the top 10 in that draft it was happening it just was um they ended up getting two of them obviously which just worked out the way they wanted hunter was obviously their guy um but yeah i i do think you know as i said before it, even if they had stayed put they were going to get reddish at eight. I'm 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 99% sure about that. If he was available, if Hunter was gone and Culver was gone, they were going to take Reddish at eight. I'm I'm pretty confident about that. So, but yeah, it's it's interesting to me because I agree with you. Like that was the glaring need. We talked about it all. We talked about it a ton. Um, you know, if you evaluated the draft as super flat and didn't think the Hunter was better than the guys that could have gotten eight and ten, then I understand being upset about that. If you didn't, if you thought Hunter was better, which the Hawks obviously did, they went and got him. And you know. We'll see how that works out. I mean, we don't have to keep talking about the value proposition of it, but I agree. Like, it's oversimplifying it to say that they, you know, to try to figure out exactly what they would have been able to get if they had stayed put. Like, I was a proponent of staying put, even as someone who really liked Hunter. I was super high on Hunter the whole time. Like, I, I liked Hunter. I had him five on my board. That was higher than most people had him. I still would have, you know, all things equal, value-wise, would have advocated for staying put. But I also haven't killed them for the trade. Even though I think it's an over, even though I think it's an overpay, because a I like Hunter a lot, and b it, he's just such a great fit. Like, is it is it what I would have done? Probably not. But I totally understand what they think they're doing with it because he's such a great fit. And obviously, the Hawks. And honestly, this is I want to say this out loud. Um, the Hawks are higher on their core guys, and I think the fan base is as well, but the Hawks are higher on their core guys, particularly John Collins, than everyone nationally is. So when you when you you and I know that, but I'm saying like if if you view if you if you listen to the conversation that people are having about the Hawks, the the biggest difference I think, honestly, in a lot of the conversations that are had about the Hawks regionally and and within the fan base versus nationally is a difference about John Collins. Because if you view and, John Collins as a star, which I think most fans do, and I think the organization does, then you are viewing this team with a different team-building strategy than people nationally that think John Collins is just a nice piece. Does that make sense? I mean, it's... I think that John Collins... How people are viewing John Collins is probably the single biggest pet peeve of mine. Oh, and, like, and I know that, but I mean, you understand, you understand this hurts me. For like, possibly since Josh Smith, um, <laughs> Josh Smith was snubbed for an All Star nomination all the way all those years ago, ten years ago, more, just, yeah, yeah, and then and then he just kind of fell off deep end after that. But like, it it really bugs me because it, it ultimately comes down to the fact that he was drafted nineteen. Like that's all it is. That's all everybody views. I'm not at. sure that's if all just, of it, but I think it's a big part of it. I agree with you. That it's a big, big part. Brad, of it. I mean, it's that, and it's also he's a unique basketball player. That that's that, that's, how, that's what I was gonna say. How, part of, part of it is that he can, it, he doesn't really fit in a box defensively as particularly. And if you're looking for like the archetype, you know, in 2019, he's a very rare player. Now, rare is not bad, but. There's just not a lot of guys to compare him to that do what he does on a basketball court in 2019. You know, 20 years ago, he would have been a very traditional power forward. But now, that position doesn't really exist anymore, which is the other big part about this. So I think it's a combination of what you were saying that, you know, his pedigree wasn't the same as some of these guys are. And B, it's just really hard to look at him if you're a national person that's only seen him play, you know, 10 times a year versus 82 like you and I have. 
if you just watch him and say, oh, he's so he's 6'10", but he's not a center, but he's not really a perimeter player. And it's this it's thought process of guys, and I, I understand what they're doing, but I'm, I'm with you to a certain degree. Like You can't fully appreciate what he is without watching him a ton because he's just not the archetype that exists right now. Because you know, I was I'm guilty of this too. I, I still I still think less less so than I used to that if you can get him to play center, it would work out really well. But I've I've come around to the fact, but because he just is so weird's the wrong word, but he's he's just he's such a rare breed right now. Because look around the league, I've said this a million times, there are not many guys who are six ten like and built like John Collins is that play like he is that are power forwards. It's just a hard sell for somebody that doesn't watch him all the time. If you watch him, you get it. But if you don't. It's like okay, this is kind of weird. What is he? I mean, how many, Brad? How many games did we go into, and it'd be some small ball for trying to box out John Collins? And and what what was our single thought was that? That's not going to work. No <laughs> that's not going to work. Yep. And that's valuable. Like that. It is. Like, no, I agree. It, just it really is. Being physically better. Than, like I, I think, and I feel as if. I feel as if we have lost sight of what truly makes great basketball players sometimes because Steph Curry, Steph Curry switched things up due to his raw skill level. But like, I mean, John Collins is such an athletic monster that you, here's the thing. You have to put your center on him or he's just going to overpower every power forward in the league today. And if you put your center on him, he's going to fade to the corner and make an open three pointer like that. There's no answer for him on offense. Him like add, honestly, him adding the three makes such a big difference to where, you know, coming into the league, he just didn't have that. It didn't really have anything close to it. And I think people, again, something if you're not paying attention, you wouldn't know that he now is comfortable on the perimeter. Where even as a rookie at times he really wasn't, and now he, he now he is. Now so but yeah, without getting too deep into the John Collins rabbit hole, that that's a big part of the way this team is discussed because Again, like if you think this team has two stars I'm, on it right now, it's really easy on, to be like, on, "All right, time to team build." And if you don't, which is, in my in my, in my experience, talking to people around the league, hearing other hearing other podcasts, it is very rare outside of Atlanta to hear people discuss John Collins as if he is a 2010 star. I mean, he was on the select team for some reason. I mean, like yeah, all that, those dudes, I, and I read all, all honestly those, all those dudes on the national team. Like he's better than most of that team. Like he, well, I mean, even I said, listen, right. you're higher on him than I am. I, I know that. I, I'm not known as like local homer guy, and I wrote a thing about how he should be on the big team. Like I think it's insane that guys like Kyle Kuzma and Mason Plumley are on the are on Team USA, and John Collins is on the on the select team. It makes no sense at all. Like it's it's it, lunacy. Man, the USA is like USA would have had a much easier go of it if they just would have threw <laughs> John Collins out there and just say just dominate athletically and we'll win every game by thirty points. Like that, yeah, it's, that's, it's, I'm like, it's, a... they, it's it's so much overthink. Like whatever, there's too much overthinking going on with a lot of basketball today. Sometimes it's just as simple as he's a better athlete than you are and he's skilled. It just works, and that that's with me with John Collins and. You know, it goes back to the point that they had to get hunt like they had to get hunters because now you can play John Collins at the five. And this is I think this is my biggest point why I think the like this actually goes and why I actually want to talk to you, which is about <laughs> I, I think the Hawks are gonna be, you know, a thirty eight plus win basketball team this season. Uh oh. All right. And, all right, I, think all right. and I think it's because defense like and I and here's why. Defensively, I think they're gonna be switching a lot more. Uh, I think that's clear based on who they got. And 
I am convinced that John Collins is a much, much better switch defender than than just the traditional that he's been doing his first two years of the league. Like, I All right, feel like uh, let, me, was, let me let me let me stop you and go to a break, and we're gonna come back with that with that little mini tease that Tower has teed up. Because listen, this, it's 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 basically Tower's show today. We're, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just clearing out for Tower at this point in time. But let, let me let me pause for a break real quickly. We'll come back and talk more about defense and uh, what Tower thinks about this team this season. So uh, hold on, just a second. All right, man. Well, sorry, we're back. Um, I had to get to a break because I forgot to do one earlier. So that's just behind the curtain. Um, what you were saying about this team being better defensively is it interesting because that's, of course, the number one thing um, we know about their offense. We know about their talent um, defensively. It's not been great the last couple of years, but okay. So you said thirty-eight wins, and because of the because of defense improvement, I, I want you to explain well, that. Well, no, you, that, you started I mean, to defense improvement is one a- aspect of it. Yeah, because you know, even though they did lose Dwayne Denman. I think the value of losing Dwayne Dedman is that John Collins is going to play more in general. Uh, he, he's probably only going to play like 33 minutes a night. Like no, no NBA team now plays their guys more than 35, more than 34 minutes a night. Now that's just how the NBA is. So he's probably going to be up to what a traditional big man plays. And that's, you know, I mean, that's roughly about three to three and a half more minutes than what he played last season. And that's just a boom because he's, you know, again, I still think he's the Hawks' best player, just due to his. I agree. For for now, for now, that, I agree. I think young, I think Young is a better prospect. I think I think Collins is a better player right now today. I mean, it's hard to argue. I mean, it, like we we can talk all day about Trey Young's gifts. John Collins was doing this before Trey Young got stepped on the floor. So like, yep. uh, like, like I, I think it's cute that people think that John Collins' improvement was happened due to Trey Young being on the floor when he was doing this with Dennis Schroeder and whatever else they were doing last season. Trey, Trey definitely helps hit. things because of just his passing and all that stuff. They they, they help each other oh, quite a bit, but I, uh, you know, obviously I agree that I think Collins at this moment is just a little bit more established, and that's not a shot at Trey. People will take that as a shot at Trey, I'm sure. Again, I think Trey is a better prospect. I think Trey has a higher upside, um, but uh, I would take Collins today. But he, I mean, my main point is that he's just more consistent. Like from a game, yep. you know what you're getting from John Collins. Like, and yes. like, and here's the thing with me: John Collins defensively is a lot. Like a lot of his defensive improvements, the second half was second when when they came back from the All Star break. Like to me, a lot of it was, you know, Dwayne Deppin wasn't playing, and he so was that notably kind of, better down the stretch. And and that kind of like besides just the regression that you talked. That, that that was going to happen with his block and steal numbers. A lot of it was John Collins stopped thinking and he just started being an athlete. And that just and that was just a market difference to, to what he was doing. And like to me, if you're switching more, it just like you're not thinking of what you should where you should be on the floor based on this pick and roll coverage and all that crap. You're just playing basketball. Like that's that's where John excels as right now as a basketball player and do you see him? Like, do you I see think, him when you say switching? Do, do you say do you see him playing? Because normally, and this is this is this is very general, but I think most teams switch more when they're playing small. Is that a situation where you're seeing Collins at the five and switching more, or because there's two there's two things here. Switching is hard with Trey Young on the court. Number one, because Trey Young is Trey Young defensively. Um, and B, if Collins is not playing Actually, five, you, you then you have Alex I, Lynn or Bruno Fernando or Damian Jones, and you probably can't switch. I mean, I guess Damian Jones is fairly nimble, and so is Fernando, but Alex Lynn's not switching. So, I disagree just, on. 
I disagree on all those fronts, actually. I think they're really? going to switch. I think they even go like, I think you actually should switch a lot more with Trey Young because uh, just really anytime you can get Trey Young off a of primary ball handler, you should do it. I mean, you kind of have to have, have like almost like Trey rules. Like certain teams have different switch rules for different guys. And I, I'm not saying you can't switch with Trey Young. I'm saying you kind of have to have different rules for Trey Young. It's hard to explain what I'm saying without talking really deep no, basketball. No, stuff. I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough. It's really, here's the thing, guys. It's tough to discuss back, like defensive schematics without a chart and a projector yeah. and being able to point okay, what, what this guy should be doing and what this guy should be doing. But you can't like, switch everything really with Trey Young. That's that's what I'm saying. Like no, it's not true. like you can you that can't is, you can't just say switch everything with Trey. Um no, or, no, or Alex Lynn or anything true. else. So that that's is what true, I'm but you can do it situ- situationally and I, agree. I think the Hawks are going to I in general I think their defensive scheme just due to the wings that they have now. You know, DeAndre Hunter is going to be a big help on this front. It's like they it, they're just going to be more versatile in that Even front. Even Evan Turner. And they're going to yeah, and they're gonna try like they're gonna try more things. And really, to me, John Collins just needs to be they just need to let John Collins be an athlete and just cause havoc, which he can do as a defender, and that'll be a boom. But really, honestly, that's not like even with all that, like I think they're gonna just be like, you know, maybe instead of being bottom five worst in the league, maybe they're bottom ten or maybe bottom eight, you know, bottom yeah, I mean they 12, were they were third worst. They were third worst in the league last year, um, and the two teams ahead of them or behind them, I should say, were historically bad. The Cavs were by the numbers the worst defense in the history of the NBA last season. Um, that's not an exaggeration. The worst defense in the history of the NBA was last season. The Cavs. Um, in, in a normal season, what the Hawks did, like points per possession wise, defensively last year would have been dead last in the league. So, and I think they're going to be and and just. Functionally, I just think based on how this roster is currently constructed and how they're going to have to play basketball this season and who's going to be on the floor, I just functionally think they're going to be better. I agree That's not with that. Even, not even pricing in defensive improvements from Trey Young and Kevin Herter, who in I just theory think, should be better. Yeah, I mean, the, se- the, sec- the, second, unit, the, the second unit alone, when, when Trey comes off the court, they're going to have to be good on defense or it's going to be a disaster. Because if you're playing Evan Turner as a primary ball handler, even if, even if you're surrounding him with guys like Collins and Herter, like you might be able to be okay offensively. You're not going to be good offensively when Trey leaves the court. You're going to be bad offensively when Trey leaves. So you got to be better defensively. And playing Evan Turner helps that. Evan Turner's a good defender. And you could play some lineups now, whereas last year you really couldn't do this very much. This year, especially when you take Trey off the court, you can play some pretty interesting defensive lineups like some pretty good defensive lineups if you want to. And now they might not, they may not be great offensively, but you can, that's going to help them offense. I mean, sort of defensively overall. It's just the fact that they can kind of put some lineups out there when they don't have any weak defenders on the court. Like, especially I, I wouldn't do this, but if, if Lloyd Pierce ends up playing DeAndre Bembry with, with Evan Turner, they won't be able to score, but they'll be able to play. They'll be able to play defense. <laughs> um, if they want to just go I mean, ugly. If they want to go, I mean, some teams do that. Like, if you look around the league, some teams on second I'm, units like to do those, like, really bad offensive lineups that also can defend and just muck it up for three minutes at a time. Like, they could try to do that. Yeah, and then and then on both ends, just be more physical than who, who they're yeah. going against. If they, like, I think, I think if they can defend backup point guards with whoever they, if Cam Rush can defend backup point guards like I think he can, 
I think that lineup is going to destroy some some bench units um, defensively just just due to the raw size and athleticism they're going to be playing with on a game to game night tonight. Or basis, or, or Bembry if you need to do that. I, I, Bembry, I still think. Yeah, Bem- yeah agree. Bembry doesn't have like a necessarily like a, a picture perfect role on this team right now because of Turner. It's kind of a weird hybrid fit there that I don't love. But I know Lloyd Pierce likes DeAndre Bembry quite a bit. So if they decide they're going to just play those guys, Bembry as a, as a point guard defender is very good at that. He's very good at taking guys out yeah. of out of games if he wants to defensively. So um, again, it won't it won't be pretty offensively if they do that. But I think kind of just to to your point, their defensive numbers are going to improve this year. They almost have to based on internal improvement. But even beyond that, like you said, the the personnel is just better for what they want to do if they I mean Deadman Deadman not being there does hurt. I think the centers will be worse defensively, but if you're you're so much better on the wings, even I mean I guess I guess you can't have too much expectations for Hunter and Reddish right away in terms of scheme stuff as rookies, but Turner, Bembry, another year of Herder who I think should be fine this year. I think Herder will if it's me, I think Herder will be an average defender this season. Like he showed enough last year where he wasn't great last year. But at his size, with another year under his belt and a full off season, I think Herder will be average this year, and that's all you need him to be. I mean, a lot of Herder's problems on both ends of the floor was just he was too weak. He's got to get stronger. Like he, yeah, physically, physically, he knew it he too. Wasn't strong enough. They knew it. I mean, they, so, it was not a mystery. Yeah, because yeah, like he'd be in the right. Like a lot of the time, he'd be like athletically there. Um, it's just you know he's just you know weak. So hopefully, and part of that was not being able to lift for his whole the whole summer the whole summer yeah. last year. He couldn't do anything. Like he couldn't get stronger. And and even more than that is, it's probably more of a placebo effect than anything else. That just he didn't have confidence in his body. Like no. you you could just feel it watching him play. And so now with the full off season that he got, um, you know he's able to hopefully maintain the weight during the season. But really more more even more than that he. he Feels like he belongs more now physically. Trey too. Which Trey, think, Trey's, Trey yeah, is Trey bigger and stronger well. than he was, like noticeably already. And and, I, and but with both of them, I think you know a lot. I, I think a lot of people write a lot of stuff about why Trey Young is bad defensively, side all this. I, I was like, man, Trey Young's biggest problem as a defender was that he was just too weak to guard anybody. It was too easy to go through him physically. Um, so if he, you know, if he's just able to hold his position more like he, he should instantaneously be a lot better because he does have quick feet and he has good hands uh trey, it, it trey, like and trey, trey knew that same thing trey you could tell it, it was not a coincidence that trey got bigger and stronger this offseason trey works very hard number one but I, i'm sure they said hey trey you're gonna have to get stronger my man because you're getting blown off the ball all the time on, on defense and also an offense so, too for the pounding but it, it's so weird that nobody like you hear. I guess it's not polite to say it, um, but you hear so much analysis that that I feel like a lot of the Hawks' problems could have been boiled down to. Uh, they're starting Trey Young and Kevin Herter on the perimeter. Uh, Torian Prince is terrible defender too, <laughs> so they really have no like their three defender perimeter defenders just have no chance. That and was so uh, correct. It's on. It's on. It's on John Collins and Dwayne Demon to to clean up everything and. You know, I, I think now that they have more adults in the like more physical adults in the room, so to speak, I think that's going to rise rise them defensively. But that's man, we we talked a lot about def- defense. I didn't mean to talk that much. It's I fun. really wanted to talk about the offense. I, I think this is why I think the Hawks are going to be thirty eight plus one basketball team. And it and I think it comes down to I think 
you know, I'm pre- I'm a, I'm projecting that Alex Lynn, John Collins, and Jabari Parker, probably the three bigs who are going to play the most this season, are all going to shoot 35 plus percent from three point range. And if they do that, I just don't know how teams are going to stop that. Particularly Alex Lynn when he's on the floor, like I, you know, looking at uh, the Hawks' strength of schedule, I would even throw that out. To me. It's going to be matchup based with this Hawks team because they have such strong, defined strengths and weaknesses. And really, any team that relies on a traditional big man, I don't think is going to have any chance to stop the Hawks on offense. Like they're just not going to be able to stop them with the amount of shooting that they have, particularly with Alex Lynn being able to shoot uh, above the break three pointers. And like if he, like if he even improves a little bit what he did last season, particularly what he was doing the second, like if he can maintain what he did after the All Star break as well, I think the Hawks are going to be really good. Uh, I have a question uh, for you, like, real quick. To, be... to, that, to that end, I have a question for you. So, a- after the All Star break last year, it's a pretty small sample size, twenty four games. The Hawks were eleventh in the league in offensive rating. Better or worse than that this year? And just for the uh, number, they, 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 they scored at a rate of a, uh, 111.6 points per 100 possessions. So for the, for the full season, so that was 11th after the All-Star break. For the full season, that would have been 8th in the league. I think it's like this season is going to ride on how good of a three-point shooter Alex Lane uh, actually is like was last season. I, I think or... I think Collins too. By the way, like I I know we can kind of assume Collins Agreed. is a solid shooter, but we've only seen it for one year now, so he's got to have to do it again. I mean, he's been good from the corner since his rookie season. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I just mean I, overall I'm because he's. I mean, Collins but, is going to take. Yeah. Collins is going to take threes that like centers don't take. You know what I mean? Like De- Devin be- Devin became a ridiculous shooter last year, but like the year before. He was mostly just a corner three-point shooter. Alex Len, same thing last year. was more basically just a corner three-point shooter for the most part. Collins is going to shoot not terribly difficult attempts, but he's not shy. Like he'll he'll take an, he'll take a pull-up. He'll take a contested three at, like from the wing. So it's it's shot quality with him. But if he goes out and shoots thirty-six percent, and Len sustains what he was able to do last year, I, I agree that it's going to be kind of scary to stop them when they have everything going. But is, does that mean top ten offense? Like, what what does that actually mean to you? If you're, if you're saying thirty eight wins, they I, probably have to be a top ten offense or close. I think it does because on 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 that front, I think they're going to have. Um, I think like Brook Lopez really showed the value of a three point shooting big, and I Alex Lynn, strangely, I I do believe in his shooting talent. Uh, from it looks like, pretty good, break. honestly. Like I kind of I, I kind of do it, too. It, like he's, he's not he's not Brook like, Lopez, I, but. Um, no, no, he's not. But you know the difference between him and Deadman. Deadman was a better shooter, but Alexson is a lot better at getting himself open. Yeah, right? De- Deadman's Deadman's I, value I is that he could he can get it. He could actually shoot the like Deadman show off the move, which is kind of crazy. Like as someone who was a late bloomer to the the shots he was able to take, like fluidly as a seven footer that didn't used to shoot was kind of wild. Whereas Len looks like he's seven two shooting. Like you could tell he's an, he's enormous. Um, but it looks pretty good i mean it didn't it didn't feel unsustainable last year is what i would say about alex Lynn's jump shot we, we don't know if it is yet but it didn't feel wrong to me watching it but but that that's the thing i'm like if i'm a gambler i'm gambling on that and that's why i'm like if he, if he if he is 36 plus they're, they're, they're probably going to be having home court i don't think he's going to be that good 
that's why I'm, I mean they might you know they might be a top four seed if Alex Lynn is turns out to be top, well hold on hold on hold on top four no, seed in, in what are we doing sense, in sense, what are we in doing here sense, in this sense Brad <laughs> if, if he's gonna put up the volume not not I said Brooke Lopez right like if he's gonna replicate one for one what Brooke Lopez okay he's not gonna do that he's not gonna do that though. We that's know what that's what I'm saying I'm yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay. with you I'm with you just just making that, sure I was like all right wait wait a second no 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 no. Uh, that's that's a extreme out- outcome, but I think I think Alex Lynn has the shooting talent to be a good volume three point shooter. Um, not Kevin Love level, a bit lower than that, probably around the 35 percent. But that's good enough for a center, like especially yeah. his size. Because that I mean, because Trey Young with space is just going to be a problem for teams. Like it's just going to be hard to stop. And I think they basically I, don't the have anybody people- on the court now. Um, I mean, maybe maybe Damian Jones, um, but aside from Damian Jones, and if they were to choose to play Evan Turner with Trey Young, which probably won't happen very often, everybody else can shoot. And, and if and you're playing five point. out lineups, like if you're Trey's playing five eat. out lineups and your your bigs are stretched out, like you don't have any rim protection anymore, like the Hawks are just going to destroy teams. And that that's my point on offense. And really, ultimately, their biggest improvement is going to be on the turnover. Um, oh, I pulled stats I, on that. When, when, you, when you told me this, I, I pulled stats real quickly on turnovers because I'm, I'm going to back go you up here. So last year, they were dead last in the league in turnover rate for the, for the full season, like pretty comfortably. But They were so bad. But before the break, it was comical. They turned the ball over 17.5% of the time, um, which was way worse than everybody else. And after the break, it was 13%, which was like middle of the pack. Now, again, small sample. Uh it's good signs, I would say. Like they're not going, they no. will not be full stop. They will not be as bad as they were last year. Turning the ball over, it's impossible to be that well, bad. Yeah. So they won't be. And, and here's why. And here's why. Torian Prince is on the team anymore. And, and Trey and, and Trey Young is a year older. Kevin Hur is a year older. Those guys, basically, we, we talked. I think you and I talked about this on, on the podcast a year ago, or I guess six months ago, maybe maybe less. But there was a point last year in, during the season where every single player in the rotation was below average or worse in terms of turnover rate for their position. Everyone turned the ball over last season. Now, I agree that Tor- it was Torian and Trey were like the biggest culprits and Jeremy Lin um, at that point in time. And Trey's going to calm down a little bit. He's always going to turn the ball over because he's a point guard and he's going to make plays. He's going to turn the ball over a lot, but he- his turnovers are fine because if you're the best passer in you the can- league or a top five passer in the league, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it's fine. But Torian's, Tor- Torian's turnovers were like, maddening and he never passed the ball anyway so it was like you can't offset turnovers with assists when you don't when you don't actually pass so i agree i mean you probably have some maddening ones from reddish and hunter because they're rookies but everybody yeah, else but, should clean but it up my, some but my my larger point is that reddish and hunter aren't going to i mean hunter in particular because i don't think reddish is going to play but hunter's going to hunter's going to be one for one taking Torian prince's minutes Right, and he will turn. Yes, and he's gonna, he's going to be just a lot more chill with the ball. I think. <laughs> I mean, he's just. I mean, he's also not going to like. They're not going to ask him to. I mean, he's just to not going to have the ball in his hand yeah. that much. Yeah, exactly. No. So it's, and you know, I think the thirteen percent number I mean, from after the All Star break is probably a little bit lower than it's actually going to be. Like for the season, they're going to be worse than they were after the All Star break last year. But you know, again, they they were seventeen that, something percent for but, the. That's but so Brad, bad. Brad, that's. That, that's my point. Like they, they were basically turning the ball over every fifth possession. Like they were horrendous um, before yeah. before the All Star break. I don't think they'll be that bad. 
No, they will not be. Full, even, full stop. Even, they will not even, be even if, even full, even if they're like still like a top three bad turnover. And they might the be, NBA, but that's not gonna still going to be a lot. They're less. not going to be. They're not going to be historically bad anymore. And I think that's really where the boon is going to come in because a lot, a lot of their problems on both ends of the floor were just they were losing the possession battle. Uh, they were giving possessions away. Because their offense was always good. When when they didn't turn the ball over, they always got good looks. They made their three pointers. Their shot they profile is great. We talked about this a million times. Yeah. They 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 take they take the right shots. They just do. They get. Wood, you know, Wood Pierce is not. Wood, Wood Pierce is not stupid. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it was just turn. They were just dying on turnovers. And like to me, this is where they improve. This is why I think they got a chance. You know, they're thirty eight plus one basketball team here. Is because they're not going to be a bad turnover team. And if they're not. You know, teams are, just aren't going to be able to stop them on a on a during a full A two game schedule. Uh, as long as we price in health, which I, you know, they, I, I can't gamble on a team not being healthy if they haven't shown it. Right, I, I just can't do. Yeah, that, the, so. the, the two the two guys that they absolutely cannot afford to be without are the, are the big two, and I think Trey even more so. If Trey misses time, like just pack it up and go home because they don't have any they have no other options but trey's never we'll see we'll see if kevin if kevin herter if kevin herter is uh stronger maybe i mean you you know what i mean though if you you took trey off this team they're just not going to be able to score yeah they're they're just going to be a meet like but if trey young is on if trey young is on the floor healthy playing 70 plus game at a what a starter minutes usually are uh, I mean, Trey was going to play eighty-two. Like Trey was going to play eighty-two games last year, and so he, yeah. Until further notice, Trey Trey Young is durable. He's never been hurt in two seasons that we know about. So, and and like to me, I, I think the Hawks' offense is going to be above average. Like they're going to be a top fifteen on offense, and that alone, I think, is going to carry them with their with all the improvements we talked about, and primarily being turnovers and on defense, just due to. Just due to even though while they did lose Deadman, they gained a lot more in perimeter defenders and quality to perimeter defenders stuff stuff they didn't really have last season. And I hate I hate that you know I mean for better and for worse, Kent Bazemore was really bad when he came back from injury and he was he wasn't also like he he was bad and he also his impact on the game wasn't missed. Uh just just due to the fact that, again, like like we said at the beginning of the pod, you know, Herter kind of took his spot, took his minutes, and you know, not there, there just wasn't any role for him. So, I I don't know. I'm I'm optimistic in the sense that I I do think the Hawks are going to be you know fighting for a bottom tier playoff seed in the Eastern Conference. Just due to their defined strengths, they're going to be a great rebounding team. I think they're going to be a bet. I think they're going to be a good to a great shooting team as well. Like. They're going to be great on offensive glass. They're going to be great shooting, and they're going to get quality looks due to Trey Young's passing. Like I think that's going to lend itself to being. They might even be top ten offense, and if they're that, you know, that's just, in the East. Yeah, like to I, me, I, to I, me, I just I found your profile. Like I just did it. I, I found exactly what you. I, I found the team from last year that is basically what you're saying the Hawks could slash should be. I'm not going to tell you which team it was. But there was a team last year that won 39 games. They had the 11th best offense and the 23rd best defense. The That's Knicks? basically what you're asking the Hawks to be. If you think they're going to win 38, yeah. 39 games, maybe a little bit better on offense, maybe a little bit worse on defense, maybe like 
ninth on offense and 26th on defense, something like that, is more realistic. But I'm trying to find the perfect team from last year. And that's what you're saying. Like, a, a team that is outscored for the season, but by only like a one or two net rating negative, and a good, like a legitimately good offense, and a bad but not historically bad defense is basically the model that you're looking for. And I, I that's that's the way this Hawks team works because they're not going to be good on defense. They're just not. Like, but as long as they're not terrible on defense, you can see it because the offense has the tools to be good. Not not elite good yet, but I think th- this could be a top ten offense. That would not that would not surprise me that much if this is top 10 offense because of the fact that if we just assume that Young and Collins are playing 33, 34 minutes a game and Herder takes a step forward, that's a foundation for a good offense. So, and Alex Lynn is a better offensive player than a defensive player right now. So Yeah, and I mean, that goes to my point. That, that just goes to what I, you know, if the turnovers are going to be not, if they're not going to be this life and, life and death thing that it was for the majority of the season last year. I can't, it cannot be stressed. The Hawks were so bad with turnovers last season until yeah, like after the All Star until like, like February first. Miserable yeah, to watch. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, like, if they if if that is fixed, and I think it is, just based on how they played, like I think how they played past February first is sustainable. At least when it, in regards to turnovers, everything else held neutral, they're going to be a good offense. And to me, that's going to carry them. They're not going to be a great team because their defense isn't just going to be there consistently on a night-to-night basis. Like that, that's, that's, that's not there. That's why they're not going to be top four. Uh, Alex Lynn's not Brooke Lopez. but <laughs> He is not. But the gains for this team is Alex Lynn, you know, and really also Jabari Parker as an aside. I, I, I think Jabari Parker has 35-plus percent shooting talent. Um, He's done it a couple times in his career. And he he did it. He's done it in Milwaukee. He hasn't done it. He hasn't repeated it since his second knee surgery. But I think in the Hawks environment, in the Hawks shooting environment in particular, where everybody like, would it surprise you if Evan Turner has a career year as a three point shooter? Just uh, I just mean, based on playing for the Hawks, and it's I, like I, not good, not good. You're you're testing me on mean, Evan Turner. Fact, I think Evan Turner is probably the worst shooting perimeter player in the entire NBA. So if if they can I fix his, if they can fix him as a shooter, then Sure. I agree um, with you, but the Hawks, I mean, Alex Lynn was shooting bombing threes last No, year, you're right. So I mean, listen, they, they've been fantastic I, I at getting not, this stuff not, out of guys. I'm the only guy they haven't fixed, honestly, the only guy that they haven't been able to get to shoot is Bembry. And it, yeah. it, may, it, may just, it may just not be there for him. Like, some guys just can't. And Turner, I'm not sure if they're even going to try it. Like, he might be the one guy that they were just like, you know what, Evan, don't worry about it. <laughs> He's so bad that maybe he won't try it. Evan, Tur- Evan Turner, just you know, do your little mid-range high post game because uh, oh, we're going to need it. <laughs> we're going to not, not, not looking forward to watch. Honestly, not, not looking forward to watching that very much. But I understand. Oh no, Evan Turner, Evan Turner's going to suck to watch. But at at the same time, I do like his fit on this team. It's such the de- the defense I, stuff and the switching, like you said earlier, does make some sense such, for him. But Brad, it's such a help. We didn't have that last year, and now we potentially got. Two guys, possibly three, with uh, you know, mate, you know, if Cam Reddish can get there, but like, you know, having Hunter and and Turner just being able to switch, you know, that as big wings, that's an that's an option that the Hawks didn't have. Like they they haven't had it for years now, really since you know Tabo left us. 
And so Evan Turner is not Tabo as a defender. I'm not saying no, that. He's but not. I am saying I am saying just just due to his value on the team as a switch defender, I, I think it's gonna be a real plus for him coming into the season. And um yeah, I, I don't know. I'm 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 super optimistic. I get why other you know, again, I, I get why, you know, the advanced media types, uh advanced metric types don't like what the Hawks did, but to me, the Hawks did a lot this season to fix the very big flashing red bulb weakness that they had. And besides all that, I, I don't like to me, if you're projecting Hawks win totals, I, I would lean more positive than negative just due to the fact that they're not going to be turning the ball over every fifth possession anymore. Trey Young is too good of a playmaker, and he's kind of settled in. He settled in last season, and he did it through a healthy number of games to suggest that he can be your, you know, fulcrum on offense. And then beyond that, Torian Prince, DeAndre Bembry, those guys aren't going to have the ball as much anymore to really make the type of the killer turnovers that, that, that just gave your team no chance to win games consistently. I'm going to, I'll say this now. I think I'm going to say this like a couple times before the season starts. I think as we start wrapping up, I know you and I never wrap up. Um, nope. I, I think if I had to pick one player that will decide the Hawks win total, I would pick Kevin Herter. Now, hear me out on this. I, I think, I think you kind of know what Young and Collins are going to be. There's some, there's some wiggle room there, but I think in general, we know what those guys are going to be. Um, I think there are obviously some swing guys on this roster. The 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 two rookie wings are swing guys. Alex Lenz is a swing guy. Um, even Jabari Parker is kind of a swing guy with the role he's going to be in. But if if the way for the Hawks to get to where you think that they're going to get, if you're, I'm not gonna, I'm obviously not, not going to pick them to win 38 games by some what I've already been saying. But the easiest way for them to get there is if Kevin Herter makes a leap, and he's the one guy. I think that has the easiest path to making a leap because, you know, Collins and Young already by the end of last season were they had already kind of made their leap. Now they have they have another one to go. Don't don't get me wrong; those guys can those guys are going to keep going to keep improving. But Herder's big leap hasn't come yet, um, and, and I think the easiest way for the Hawks to get into the high thirties would be Kevin Herder kind of putting an fu season together and like being kind of establishing himself. Does that make sense? It's, it's too simplistic. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I could make it no, more no. nuanced if, I, if we had more time, I, but I, I think I can, he's he's the I guy. Can, Brad, I can even make it simpler for you. If Kevin Herter is finishing around the rim, like if he's at least... Or, or getting the line at least. <laughs> like, you know, at least... One of the uh, two. Like, last, like if, he, if he... If he's at least trying, that that's going to be such a difference maker. Um... Because that, that that that's the biggest weakness in this game. The glaring weakness in Kevin Herter's game last season was he never got to the rim, even though he could get there. He never took I shots mean, around the rim. He attempted fifty six free throws on the season in seventy five games and two thousand plus minutes. That's impossible. Like it's impossible I mean, to get to the line as little as he did last year, and that's going to change to some if degree. You watch, but if, if man. you watch, if you watch Herter play, if you watch Herter play. It made complete sense. Oh, I know. I'm with you. I'm just saying, like that cannot. You can't. You can't. That can't keep happening. He's got to get to the line. He's got to be aggressive. Fifty-six free throw attempts I mean, in seventy-five games as a, basically a starter for half the season. 
That is a wild number. I keep looking at it every time. Every time I look at the stat sheet, it just pops out to me. He took less free throws last year than Vince Carter did. And Vince Carter is not trying to get to the line right now, age 42. I mean, and, and Herter, I mean, the problem was that he would avoid contact. And also, he wouldn't leverage his, he, he, he wouldn't leverage his advantage. Uh, just be too often where he'd have a, an advantage on a guy, and then he would just, I don't like, just freeze up for some reason around the rim. So really, if he can improve on that, and that, and that goes to that goes to my larger point that I think, you know, if you get the spacing that I think you're going to get from Alex Lynn just due to the the volume of three points he's going to take, and if you get the spacing that you're going to get from, you know, Jabari Parker, who's who should be a much better shooter uh, this season in the Hawks environment compared to what he was. Uh, what he was doing in Chicago. Hope, hopefully, he can get back to his what what he's done for the majority of his career, which is be a really good three point shooter. Uh, you know, going back to his high school and college days. Uh, so, yep. If the spacing is there for Herder, and all he has to do is beat his man and finish through his contact through his man, I I believe he can get there, and that and that's going to be such a boon for him because then he's instantly one of the best. Um, offensive two guards in the NBA because he already that's the thing he already had like Herder already has the hardest thing uh, does the hardest thing you can do in the NBA he's already a great off the dribble shooter like he already is statistically it's already there for him Um, so if he can if he can get um, if he can get his you know if he can get his rim finishing just either get to the free throw line or finish more at the rim you know be more physical in general like that's going to be that's going to be a boom for him, and that's going to lead to, hey, you, you don't need Trey Young on the floor. You know, you you can have a good offense with Herter on the floor because Herter has a great – We, I mean, we talk about it all day with Herter. He's got a great handle. He has a great eye for passing. It's just that he doesn't leverage all his gifts that he has because he doesn't – like he just doesn't go through contact to finish around the rim. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I think we'll see with Herter. He, he's the unknown unknown of the big three. You know, big prospect three, not not actual. You know, no, I'm with. I mean, by the way, he'll be 21 in about two weeks, and uh, you can imagine he's going to start filling out and getting bit more physical. And yeah, he's he's a swing guy for me. Like, obviously, there are there are multiple swing guys, but if I if I have to choose one that's going to dictate a lot for the Hawks this year, it's Kevin Herter because it's because I mean, if he's if he's getting to the free throw now, now if he's able to get to the rim more. And finish and get easy buckets that way. Now he's not so he doesn't fade away as often as he does from basketball games because too right. often last season he would just he he wouldn't take shots because he, maybe he missed his first three and then he just kind of be out the picture and he just float float out there because his shot wasn't there. Um, he also has a full uh, off season to get to get uh, ready, which he did not have last year, which is a sneaky yep. thing. And I probably cited too much, but Herder. Same thing as Reddish this year, by the way. Reddish is probably going to start slow. Herter, like, it became a joke during the season once he actually got acclimated, but um, Pierce and Herter were like, Pierce make fun of Herter because of how bad he was in, pre- in, in the preseason last year because he just wasn't ready. Like, part of it was that he was a rookie, but he just didn't, he, he didn't play basketball in the summer. And it's the same thing Reddish is about to have happen to him where he's, he hasn't played basketball in three months. Like, he's going to have a yeah. slow start. But now Herter has a full, Herter, Herter has a full offseason a full professional offseason for the first time, and that can work wonders for you in a number of ways. <laughs> like he's and he has the benefit of, of having played two thousand minutes already. Like he he played a ton of minutes last year, like sneaky a ton of minutes, 
And now you, have, you throw that in with a full time, with a full summer to know what you need to get better at and get better at it. Like the path is there for Kevin Herter to get, to get better. And if he's some, if, if he's suddenly a, an above average starter next year, which is a big leap from where he is right now. But if he's suddenly that this season, which is, which is not inconceivable, that would be huge, man. Like if, if he's suddenly a plus starter at shooting guard at 21 years old, like look out. I mean, and that's, and that's with the optimism that internally I imagine the Hawks, because the Hawks feel like they love close. him. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. With good reason. Like he's, as we talked about at nauseum, he has all the tools for, to be like, not, not going to be a star, but he's gonna, like, he has all the tools to be a plus starter. And if he's that really helps unlock a lot of things. All right. I, I got to let you go at some point. Um, I'm not going to make you do your final pick because it's August and hopefully we'll talk again. And if not, you'll talk to Kevin or something and share your final pick when we get closer. But uh, the optimism is good. I mean, I think people haven't been yelling at me as much because I think I'm I'm not I'm not as high as you on the team right now. But I think I'm generally pretty optimistic at the moment. Which I is also rare for don't me. think we're that far apart. Uh, We're not. No, I mean, I, I'm gonna I, honestly. I, I'm not gonna pick them just yet on on the podcast because I uh, I have to write something for our roundtables and I'll say it at some point. But I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have the over on the Hawks, is what I'll say with my final projection as of this moment that I have in my head. It's gonna be slightly over on the Vegas win total, but over nonetheless. So it's not 38, but it's not 30 where RPM is. To bring it full circle, I am higher on RPM. I'm higher, I'm higher on the Hawks than RPM is, which is not a big surprise, but I am. I don't know. Uh, anything you got going on that you want to share? I know it's been a while since uh, Kevin's on a podcast. I, I, need, I need to shame Kevin into recording a podcast at some point. I mean, you want to shame him to record a podcast and talk about – there's nothing to talk about. Like We we just didn't know. We have, of, we have, we have plenty to talk lot, about. I mean, we, we did. No, I know. I, was, I'm with you. Trust me. It's uh, it's I mean, it's what, a hard life in August. <laughs> talk about the schedule or talk about what other people are talking about. Like, eh. it's a you hard know, it's, it's a hard it's life tough. in August. It's Listen, I, I have to produce podcast content uh, even in August, and that's why I like to bring on people like you. We could just talk and chop it up for an hour and have some fun. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a chore because I enjoy talking about basketball. But it would be very easy to not talk about anything on podcast form in August because there's nothing going on right now. The last thing that actually happened that was real, like actual news was Vince signing. And that was two weeks ago almost. So yeah, I mean, you, you could talk about USA basketball. Like uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that at some point. Cause I, I, I tweeted this today. The hate has gone too far. I'm looking forward to maybe uh, putting some jelly beans on the USA team to win. Cause the, the, the line keeps dropping and they're going to win. I think they're gonna smoke. They're gonna smoke everybody, man. It, uh, so, even... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm weirdly into USA basketball, and I'll be the guy watching games at 8 a.m. during football season when they're in China playing. So uh, maybe you and I would talk about that at some point in a couple weeks. But uh, well, you can you can tell me how good or well they're doing because I have no interest of watching. You're out. A you're out. Olympic. I, I mean, I really, I really wish there, that. Uh, I really wish for the content that uh, one of our Atlanta Hawks young people was playing. Collins should have been on the team. I'm with you. I'm, it'd, be, oh, it'd be great for it'd be great, it'd be great great for content. You'd know, be talking about it more if he was there. You, you'd be watching if he was there. I, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, I, I guess Bruno was playing for Angola. 
I haven't actually been following that very closely, but for at least for a minute, he's supposed, he's supposed to play, which is something to say out loud. Um, uh, but yeah, I wish I hope he else doesn't play. play. I hope he doesn't play. The last time I watched a non-team USA Eurobasket, is, is that what we're going with? Yeah, no, no. It was oh. For, oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking Dennis about Dennis, Dennis, Dennis at Eurobasket. <laughs> no, but even worse than that was Al Horford for the Dominican Republic. Oh, that was so bad. It was not it's fun such to watch. Terrible basketball. But yeah, uh, I, I have fun. I have fun memories of uh, watching Dennis Schroeder play at Eurobasket and caring about that for reasons passing understanding. Um, we watched. Ooh, that. He fooled me. Yes, fooled he did. Me. He fooled a lot of people. He, he I mean, he, he played well. Yeah, I understand. He played. He played harder. He played harder. There he did. He played a lot harder there, than he did. <laughs> uh, which is funny. Wow, um, I was stunned. Stunned when he came. Came came back but that's well that, that's where he, that's where he gave the famous press conference when he basically uh he didn't demand a trade but he was like i'd take a trade and we we're like wait what he was he was he was in germany talking about i'll take a trade to the was it the pacers i was like wait dennis <sighs> did you just say that out loud in a microphone you're under contract oh man oh my god fun memories uh all right man well thank you for joining me as always you will be back before the season starts at the very at the bare minimum as i think it's like it's been seven weeks since you were on the podcast so even if it, even if it's seven more weeks that's still that's still before the season starts so we'll, we'll be in, we'll be in good shape yeah we will thank you for joining me as always tyler uh, please follow this man on twitter you might not get uh, a ton of hawks talk all the time uh what anime what, what else do you talk about yeah twitter? you're not you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna get any hawks you're barely gonna get any hawks it's august at this moment it's it's um, Fire Emblem Three Houses time. At I, don't the even, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. I'm washed. If you have a switch, if you have a switch, pick that game up. It's fun. Um, you're, it's just a great. It's just a great game. Uh, sink. You can sink hours into that, and it's on the switch, and you can take it with you. Uh, but outside of that, you know, of course, I'm watching anime and tweeting about it on at Jonesy Two X Four. If you want some like recommendations, I, I always have them. Um, but that, yeah, that's where you can, you can catch me, Jonesy Two X Four on Twitter. Follow Tyler. Follow me if you want to follow the show. Also, subscribe to the show. Uh, subscribe to the ATL and Twenty Nine podcast, which is under the Peace Troops umbrella. Tyler is always, or at least almost always, on that podcast with Kevin. And uh, yeah, check us out. And uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see everybody next week. <laughs>